All right. Uh, how many of you have read the book of Habakkuk? It's three chapters. Come on, show of hands. All right. Some of you on our reading plan. If you're not, we've got bookmarks. You need to get on our reading plan. I'm telling you, it's, it's good stuff. Uh, the book of Habakkuk is an interesting little book. It's, it's only three chapters, uh, but it, it's really unique in its perspective uh, because it's actually kind of more like a psalm, right? Uh, the, the chapter one of Habakkuk is really a lament. It's actually two laments. Uh, Habakkuk looks around at Israel, and remember at this time period, the kingdoms have been divided. Uh, Assyria has already conquered the northern kingdom. Babylon is coming into power. And, uh, and so he's, he's looking around, and, and his people aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And Habakkuk is a man of God, and he longs for his nation to be who God calls it to be. And so he looks around at all the injustice that's going on, and he begins to pray. And, and, and what he wants is revival. What he wants is revival. Uh, and so he laments to God, what's up with my people? Why won't you bring revival? Uh, God answers and says, hey, I'm going to do it this way. Then Habakkuk laments about how God chooses to bring about the revival. Uh, then God graciously uh, grants Habakkuk a vision, uh, lets him see himself, lets, lets him see God. And, and once Habakkuk sees God, man, it changes everything. It changes the whole equation. And the whole book kind of ends in a psalm of worship and praise and trust, right? It's a unique book because of all the prophets, this guy's not actually preaching to the people. He's not even really talking to the people. He's going to write down the vision that God gives him. But really, this is a, a, an interaction. It's a conversation between a prophet and God, which is really, really cool. So in that conversation, our question this morning is, what can we learn? What can we learn from the conversation that Habakkuk has with God? And I, I think there's quite a bit. So three lessons I think we can learn from the book of Habakkuk. Here's the first I think we can learn that God often doesn't work the way we want him to. That God often doesn't work the way we want him to. Right? So listen, what did Habakkuk want? He wanted revival. He wanted the hearts of the people changed. Like that's what he wanted. That's what he was lamenting about. He was looking around at his nation, at his people. Uh, he was looking around at all the injustice. And he begins this lament to God. And this is what he says in chapter 1, verse 2 and verse 3. He says, how long, Lord, must I call for help? And, and you don't listen or, or cry out to you about violence. And you don't save. Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing, oppression and violence? Are right Right in front of me, strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. And he's talking about his own people. This is his nation. Remember, uh, the leaders are taking advantage of the poor. Uh, they, they, they've set up unjust systems where even if you tried to go to a judge, that's not going to work. Uh, even the prophets have turned and they're, they're selling prophecies. The nation's in moral decay. And in the midst of all that, Habakkuk is like, God, I just want revival. And so he laments to God and God answers he answers him in, in, in verse 5 and 6. He says this. By the way, one of the most quote, misquoted verses in all of the Bible is, is uh, Habakkuk 1.5. Uh, this is what the Lord says. He says, look at the nations and observe and be utterly astounded for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Now, we always quote that. We misquote it talking about something positive. What's coming is not positive, right? Notice the tail end of that. Notice the I'm going to do something you wouldn't even believe uh, when you hear about it. Look, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. That's the Babylonians. He said, that's what I'm going to do. Right? That's what I'm going to do. So Habakkuk wants revival. He wants people's hearts to turn to God. And God's going to do it. But God's only going to do it 
after Jerusalem is completely destroyed, after the temple is torn down, and after the people are in captivity for 70 years. God says, you know what it's going to actually take to do what you want, Habakkuk? It's going to take a lot more than you could imagine. It's not going to be me just you know, snapping my fingers and suddenly people's lives are going to be right. They're going to have to endure hardship before their hearts turn back to me. Right? So, so God hears what Habakkuk wants. God's actually in the process of doing it, but he doesn't do it the way that Habakkuk wants him to do it. It makes me think of what God says to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. For this was the Lord's declaration, For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And that's one of the first things we need to take away from Habakkuk. God's ways are not our ways. His ways are much higher and holier than our ways. God often doesn't work the way that we want him to, right? So we begin there. Second lesson we learn from the book of Habakkuk is that God doesn't usually explain himself, but he does often reveal himself to us, right? God doesn't usually explain himself, but he does reveal himself to us, right? So his first lament is, is God, what's taking so long? Right? What, look, look around me. How long do I have to cry out about the injustice that I see? What is taking so long, God? To which God responds, I'm on it. I've got it. I'm going to send the Babylonians. Which brings the second lament. Right? And, and so now here's kind of the second complaint. By the way, you can complain to God. You may not like his answer, but you can complain to God. So here's the second complaint to God. This is what he says, Habakkuk 1.13. He says, your eyes, Lord, are, are too pure to look on evil. And you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? He's talking about the Babylonians. He says, why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who's more righteous than himself? It's going, God, why would you send a more evil nation to, to deal with us? We're less evil than them. And I've got to think that God's sitting on his throne going, Habakkuk, you just complained to me about how bad it is in Israel. Right? I mean, th this is literally the, the, the precursor of our question. Why do bad things happen to good people? And God's response always to that question, just so you know, is there are no good people. No one is righteous. Not even one. And, and so here Habakkuk is complaining. But, but God, why would you use this, this treacherous nation to come and, 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 and to bring about the change that I'm asking for here in, in our nation? But I want you to notice, if you read the book of Habakkuk, God never explains it to Habakkuk. He doesn't. He doesn't explain why he's going to use Babylon. Instead, what he does is he gives Habakkuk a vision of God. He gives Habakkuk a, a vision of, of God. And so here's how it, it, it begins in chapter 2, Habakkuk 2, 2 through 3. It says, the Lord answered me, write down this vision. Okay, that's why we know he's seeing this, right? Clearly inscribe it on tablets uh, so one may easily read it. So he's going to write it down. He's going to stick it up in a public place so people can see it. It says, for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and it will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it since it will certainly come and not be late. Now that last sentence is really interesting, by the way. The author of Hebrews quotes that last sentence 
But instead of the word it, he replaces it with the word him. He sees Jesus here. It would read, though he delays, wait for him, since he will certainly come and not be late, which is really, really cool. There's a lot of that going on in this little tiny book, by the way. And so, uh, Habakkuk laments to God. Uh, God does not explain himself. Rather, he gives him a vision. And that vision ends with a picture. He actually sees God. And uh, we get that in Habakkuk 2.20. It says this. It says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. He sees him in the temple. It says, let the whole earth be silent in his presence. This is still part of the vision. So Habakkuk wants an explanation. And he sees God. And I want you to get this. This is really huge. Right? Habakkuk 2.20, let the whole earth be silent in his presence. It's as if he sees God and God says to the prophet, Shh, I got this. Do you see me? Where am I seated? I'm on my throne. I reign over everything. I've got this. I've got this. And, and, and listen, guys, I, I, I can't tell you why this is so important for us today. Because spiritually, if you don't understand this concept, that God does not owe you an explanation, it will jack up your spiritual life. I mean, it'll mess it up good. A lot of people think that. They think that God owes them an explanation at all times. And so they pray like Habakkuk. By the way, it's okay to complain to God. God, why are you doing this? Why would you do this? God, why? And listen, God's big enough for that, but God doesn't usually explain himself. What he does instead is reveals himself. He says, hey, hey, look at my glory. Look at me. I'm in control. I'm the one calling out the sun and the moon and the stars and telling the oceans that they can only come so far. I've got this. And he so he says to his kids who have all these questions, why, why, why? He says, shh, I'm God and you're not. And I just want you to trust me. And if we don't get that, what will happen to your spiritual life, and some of you, I'm speaking to where you are right now, is, is you feel like God doesn't answer prayer. You feel like God doesn't care about you. you, you and, and the reason why, you're expecting God to explain himself. I mean, that's your only prayer. Your only prayer is, why, 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 why? And God's going, listen, it's not how it works. It's not how it works. I have ways that you could never understand, even if I tried to explain them, just look to me. Trust me. I've got this. Right? I've got this. And it is transformational in your walk with the Lord if you can understand this principle. If not, um, you will uh, not only feel like God never answers prayer, you'll also probably start to feel like God owes you something, which is, listen, God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe me anything. I mean, what we're owed is death, hell, and judgment. That's what we're owed. So God doesn't owe us, and we just have to get that mindset right, right? So that's the second lesson. God doesn't usually explain himself, but he does reveal himself to us. And, and that just kind of leads into this third lesson, guys, that uh, we learned from Habakkuk, that uh, when we behold the glory of God and believe the word of God, it gives us faith to accept the will of God. I'm going to say it again really slow, right? When we behold the glory of God and we believe the word of God, it gives us faith to accept the will of God. 
And uh, guys, that is a direct quote from Warren Wiersbe, great Bible commentator. And sometimes as a pastor, when you're doing your study and you're digging into commentary, sometimes you run across them. This wasn't even one of his major points. It was just kind of in the text of his book. And I read it and I was like, yep, can't do better than that. Can't write a better sentence than that. I can't. I, I'm just telling you right now, I, I could not this week. And I said, that, that, that's the summary. That is the summary of the entire book of Habakkuk. And that one little, I don't even think he realized that was the summary of the book. But, but what happens in the book of Habakkuk, right? Habakkuk is complaining to God, right? It's a lament. Oh God, the, these people, my people, I want revival. You, how long must I cry out to you? And God's like, hey, I'm working on it. I'm going to do something you wouldn't believe. And Habakkuk's like, ah. And he goes, yeah, it involves Babylon. And he's like, no. And so he's like, really, God? You would use somebody horrible to do this? And God never explains himself. He says, Habakkuk, look at me. Shh. I got this. Habakkuk saw God seated on his throne. He saw God in all of his glory. And then he believed what God said would happen, would happen. That's believing in the word of God. Because God said, I will restore, right? He said, listen, I, I, I will rekindle the flame in their hearts. I will do that, Habakkuk. I will bring revival. That's what I'm going to do. But I'm going to do it to do it. It's going to take a lot, much longer period than you think. So Habakkuk saw God in all of His glory. He believed what God said. He trusted the Word of God, believed the Word of God. And it gave him the faith to accept the hard will of God, which was that Babylon was coming. Right? And, and this faith that comes from those two things is huge. This faith uh, to accept God's will, which only comes from seeing God in His glory and believing God's Word is, is huge. And in Habakkuk 2.4, it, it says, the righteous one will live by his faith. Like, this, is, this is what we're, we're called to do. So, this is what the people of God will, will do. They'll, they'll, they'll worship and they'll see God in His glory and they'll trust that God's Word is true. And then their whole life will be shaped accordingly and they will now live by faith Trusting that God's will is ultimately right and good and better than anything they could ask for. That means accepting even the hard stuff, right? And listen, this verse in Habakkuk is so transformative. Habakkuk 2.4 is, is what Paul quotes in Romans 1.17, right? And in Romans 1.17, just so you know the power of this verse, Romans 1.17 is the verse that transformed uh, a, a then priest in the Catholic Church by the name of Martin Luther. And he began to came to understand that, that it is it, it, this thing called justification, that we are made right before God, and he says this, through, through faith alone, right? It's through faith alone that we're made right. There's nothing that we can do. There was a church that's saying, no, you've got to do this, and you've got to pray this way, and you've got to pay this much, and you've got to do this penance, and those things, that's how you're saved. And, and, and Martin Luther, this guy that's caught up in it, he's swept up in it. He's always felt like something's wrong, and he reads the book of Romans, which is finally in a language he can understand it. He goes, whoa, man, it's nothing I can do. 
It's not about me. It's about what God has done for me. I'm a sinner. I deserve death and hell and condemnation. There's nothing I can do to make myself holy because I've already sinned. And he realizes the gift of Christ, Jesus, who lived the perfect life that we couldn't and died the death that we deserve, and that by putting our faith in Jesus, that God accredits to us the righteousness of His own Son. And our sin is covered once and for all. And Martin Luther declares, no more. And he nails 95 statements against the door of the Catholic Church. And the Reformation begins. And we are here today because of Habakkuk 2.4. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy to me. But the righteous will live by faith. So Habakkuk saw God on his throne He got to behold the glory of God. He believed that God would do what He promised He would do, which was ultimately bring about revival. And it gave him the faith to accept the will of God, God's good plan. And here's what he writes uh, in chapter 3. He writes, Lord, I have heard the report about You. Lord, I stand in awe of Your deeds. Revive Your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In Your wrath... Remember mercy. The way I take that, he's saying, okay, God, I get it. I get it. And I am in awe of your plan that is so much bigger and better and far-reaching than anything I asked for. You're God. I'm not. And he ends in this psalm of praise. So what do we learn from that book? I mean, like, not just, like, lessons, but, but what, what do we do because of what we've heard? And, and I think there are some things, and so I'm going to give you four very, very quickly. Uh, number one, um, we, we learn that we can share our heart with God. I just want to challenge you. Share your heart with God. Do it. Now, you need to do it with the understanding that God does not owe you an explanation, but you should still share your heart with God. Because you never know. What did, what did God give Habakkuk when he shared his heart with him? What did he give him? He let him see him. He, he gave him a vision of himself. That's what he needed more than, more than an explanation. He needed to see God, that God was in control, that God was on his throne. So, so, like we begin, so share your heart with God. Just say, God, this is, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I see. What's going on? Share your heart with God, okay? Number two, I think the book of Habakkuk teaches that we can ask God to show us his glory. Ask God. God, show me your glory. Moses prayed that prayer. God, show me your glory. Why? Why are these great men of God? Why why are their lives so transformed? Because they see a vision of God and they get it. They go, oh man. When you get a glimpse of the glory of God, it transforms you because you you suddenly are like, oh dang, he's got this. I don't. Like, whoa, Lord. Lord, forgive me for ever thinking that you're just walking around here, down here with me. You are on your throne. You are in control. Nothing is out of your grasp. The world is not spinning out of control. No, your hand is guiding everything. And you're working it for good. And man, when we get that glimpse of God, that God is big and He is sovereign and He is good and He is at work, even when we're, like, we've convinced ourselves. I'm sorry, I I feel like the modern day Christian has has just convinced themselves that God is small and non-active. Couldn't be further from the truth. Couldn't be further from the truth. I think people in Israel in that day, they felt the same way. I think Habakkuk felt the same way. God, you're small and you're not active. You don't even see me. God's like, dude, you wouldn't even believe 
what I'm going to have to do to bring about the revival that I need in my people, and I am working on it. And by the way, it involves Babylon. Some of us, we look at our culture and we go, uh, hello, kind of feel like Babylon now. By the way, every nation ultimately kind of becomes Babylon because of sin, right? We all oppress the poor and don't look to God and don't do things the way that he should. That includes America. Uh, I love this country, but but if, if, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, every nation on the face of the planet, if you study, uh, God has, by the way, a list of woes. There's five of them. I didn't have time to mention them. Go read them. Uh, that could be said of us. How, 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 how we, we've built our country, how we continue to build our country. It could be said of England. It could be said of Africa. Everywhere, you, I was reading a book about the terrible wars in South Sudan against, against people in the same region set of that region. Everywhere you go, this is what we see. Why? Because of our sin. And so what do we need sometimes? We get this small view of God. We say, God, where are you? What are you doing? Sometimes we just need to pray, God, would you show me your glory? God, remind me that you're still on your throne, that you're working to redeem. And, and then that, that's really, and by the way, that's really what we need. It's what we need more than anything we ask for is to know that God's in control. Okay? Third thing, uh, when we see him, by faith, we need to trust Him. We need to trust His ways. When we see Him, we need to trust Him. Uh, guys, your spiritual life is going to be miserable if you spend the whole time asking God why He's doing something and then waiting on Him to explain Himself. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're, you'll just be stuck. And I know a lot of Christians that feel stuck. Might I just throw that answer out to you? Maybe, maybe you're stuck because of this because what you really need to do is see God trust God and let go and then by faith the righteous will live that means they, they're breathing they're active they're doing stuff they're not curled up they're not hidden from the world they'll live by faith God is working God is active God is sovereign God is redeeming it will come even if I have to live through captivity by golly it will come praise be to God amen Hey, Jesus is coming back, y'all. Jesus is coming back. And if that means that we, we, we get to go with him, I know you pre-trib folks, I, I love you guys. Uh, that's awesome. Somebody always asks, are you pre-trib? Or, like, I, 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 just, I would love it if it's pre-trib. That would be like winning the lottery. Uh, the way I read the Bible and suffering, I don't know that that's the case. Just saying. Jesus kind of told us to expect trouble in this world. And as things get rough and dark, I, I, just, I just want you to know, God's still good. We know who he is. We know where he is. We know what he's doing. And we know the end. And that is enough. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, may your will be done. Isn't that in the Lord's prayer, by the way? Father, your will, not my will. Okay, all right. So, last thing. Uh, be a watchman. Again, so many things. I, I could have preached this book for three weeks. Uh, li little things when Habakkuk says, okay, Lord, what, I'm, now he says, now I'm going to stand on the wall as a watchman and wait. And you go, what? What? God doesn't owe you an explanation, which God explains all this. But, but there's this cool thing about him being a watchman. And, and historically, what a watchman would do is they would stand on the tower and they would keep watch for what was coming. And their goal was to, to alert the people. Doesn't that kind of sound like what Jesus told us to do? Right? Go into all of the world and to make disciples. 
right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them about everything I'm commanding. What did Jesus say? He said, I'm coming back. I'm going to take you to be with me where I am. And, and he talked about judgment. When I come back, there's going to be a great separation. Guys, we know the answers. Our job is to be those watchmen and to speak to a, a world and say, listen, this is going to happen when he comes back. Are you ready? Are you ready? We've got to do our jobs better. We just have to. I know it's uncomfortable. I know in our current culture, you're probably worried somebody's going to just defriend you or whatever. Okay? Jesus, I'm, I'm serious. Jesus said you were going to lose friends, family members. I mean, you name it. We have to tell people what's coming. We've got to be those kind of people. It's the most loving thing we can do. All right? Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for uh, your word. Thanks for Habakkuk. Thanks for speaking to us. Uh, I pray this week that these words would resonate with us. Not doing some kind of emotional altar call right now. We're just asking by the power of your spirit that these words would haunt us all week long. That you would teach us these truths from the inside out all week long and we'd be changed. God, thank you for how you work. Thank you for your plans being way better than ours. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.